Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome back to Living with Emuna. Each and every week, our support group to bring out the best in ourselves of seeing and feeling and connecting with Hashem in our lives, knowing that nothing is by is random or chance, but everything is by design. And even though that doesn't mean it will be pleasurable, sometimes it's painful. It means by definition it won't be bad somehow, whether we understand it, appreciate it, or see it in our lives, or don't merit to see it until after our lifetime, somehow it's all good. I want to thank our sponsors for the year, Drs. Avi and Bella Morgan. Really thank you for your generosity, who sponsored the whole series this year in memory of Dr. Brian Gabbard, whose life was a model of living with Emuna. Really, all we'd need to do each and every week is not even study a text, but just talk about Brian's life, and we would all be inspired to live with greater Emuna. Also want to thank our dear friends, Sal and Leslie Abadie, who've been sponsoring the last several classes in honor of their beautiful children, Joey and Marissa Abadie, and uh, their expected baby. That baby should be healthy and happy. Give the parents and grandparents and Hashem a lot, a lot of nachas. So thank you for that sponsorship. We're continuing the piece we've been learning by Rav Schwartz, the author of the Bilvavi, Da'ed Bitchonecha, Know Your Bitachon. And we've been defining Bitachon. What does it mean to live a life of faith? What does it mean to live a life of emuna? You know, I often get emails and texts and WhatsApps based on this class where people are trying to absorb and integrate it into their lives. And uh, it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing. Members of my own family who challenge me about how do we apply this to our own lives. It's easy for me every Wednesday morning to look into a camera and to say everything is good and everything's from Hashem and everything's the way it's meant to be. But you know what? That's all when well, when well uh, and good enough. But what about when someone's struggling or suffering? What about when it doesn't have a happy ending? What about when you can't look back and make sense of it? What about when it feels permanent and irreversible and there's real suffering and real tragedy and real loss? So just last night, someone left me a voice note. I don't know them. Um, and I tried to respond to it. It was so beautiful how, how sympathetic and empathetic they were to another family member who's struggling. And they're trying to make sense of, of a, a post I had written uh, on our Amuna WhatsApp group that Hashem doesn't give us anything that we can't handle. Betach Bashem, person who trusts in Hashem, Chesed Yisovavenu, that His Chesed will surround us. He gives us, He empowers us, He energizes, He inspires us. He gives us the courage and the resiliency and the fortitude to be able to withstand whatever He throws our way. And the person said, Well, how do you know that? And how do you see that? And what's the source for that? And it doesn't feel like that for the people who are crumbling over under whatever bad news or whatever tragedy or whatever hardship they have. And I said, You look, the question is better than the answer. I want to acknowledge that to begin with. But, but, I, I put the question back. What's the alternative? What is the alternative to accepting that fundamental belief, which we don't accept as a coping mechanism. We accept it because we believe it ideologically and theologically to be true. But I also ask practically, what's the alternative to say we're just subject to nature and chance and randomness? Who knows what tree will fall on our head or who will contract an illness or who will have a genetic um, problem in their, in their, with their child and who will have this and who will have that? It's more comforting to me to know that I have parents and that they don't leave me out to dry and that whatever happens, even if I don't understand it, like the child who sticks their finger in the outlet and gets a potch, shouldn't think, well, that was random, but should think even though that hurt, but clearly there's a parent who did that because somehow they love me. And that's the mentality and the attitude that we are meant to bring to others too. So we believe it because it's true, but I also believe it because I don't understand what the alternative is. Is it more comforting to think that you are a victim of randomness and chance? Is it more comforting to think that Hashem gives you something you can't handle? What kind of God, what kind of just, good, kind God would give you challenges that you didn't have the tools to handle? What kind of God would He be? I'll be honest with you, I don't want a relationship with such a God. I don't want to believe in such a God. That's not a God that I subscribe to that I want to feel close to or connected with. That's not the God that I believe in. 
So I believe by definition, the Rebona Shalom is our parent. And if our parent is the one who's issuing, so to say, challenges forth to us, he doesn't give us something that we don't have the tools and that he doesn't have the confidence that we have the ability to handle. Does that mean it will always be easy? Absolutely not. Does it mean it's always pleasurable? For sure not. We see people with real hardship and real challenges. And yet, we've seen extraordinary people who rise up and above and somehow find that capacity to withstand, to put one foot in front of another and to be able to continue. We dig deep within ourselves and we need to know that. The post that I put up was in our Parsha, the Jewish people, the Meraglim come back and they say, you know, we were grasshoppers in our own eyes and so we were in their eyes. And the Kutzker Rebbe says, you could talk about what you were in your own eyes. How do you know how you appeared in their eyes? So the Kutzker Rebbe says, because when you think of yourself as small, as nothing is incapable, then you project that others see you that way too. And when you see yourself as competent and capable, you see yourself as an instrument of Hashem, you see yourself not just as yourself, you see yourself as the manifestation of the will of Hashem, then you never lack self-confidence because you know that everything that is happening in your life is by design, is from above, is with Hashem. So how dare you say that we were grasshoppers and so we were in their eyes? You have no idea how you were in their eyes. You didn't read their blog. You didn't see their memo. You don't know how you appeared in their eyes. Stop projecting onto others. Shlomo, when you talk about this parsha, would say, not only should we not see ourselves as a grasshopper, it's a little quick review of the parsha class yesterday, not only do we not see ourselves as a grasshopper, what is the very first law of Shulchan Arach? The very first law of the code of Jewish law is, Hiskaber ka'ari lamod laboker. You're a lion! Hear me roar! Wake up and conquer the day! And that means no matter what's happening in my life, not every day will I feel like a lion. There'll be days that I feel like a grasshopper, stepped on. You know why the Jewish people are likened to wine? Why do we begin every event and ceremony and ritual of our life with wine? You know why we begin it with wine, the Hasidic masters say? Because how is wine produced? The grape, when you step on it, it produces something even finer, more valuable. It produces fine wine. Jewish people have not for centuries and millennia been stepped on, trampled on. And you know what happens? If we believe about ourselves when we're stepped on, when life steps on us, we get bad news, we get challenging information, we have challenging circumstances, we go through painful episodes. When we feel we're stepped on, we can crumble and disappear, or we can realize we're about to ooze fine wine. It's going to bring out the best in us if we dig deep within us. And so, don't ever see yourself as a grasshopper, even when you feel like a grasshopper, even when you feel like you're getting trampled on and stepped on. Hiskaber ka'ari, know you're a lion. Greet the day and greet the challenges. That doesn't mean that you'll always be in the mood to roar. There'll be days you curled in the fetal position in bed crying because you're going through something painful. That's okay. Judaism also has the laws of mourning. We have Avelis and we have sad times and we're going to enter a period of three weeks and nine days in Tishabav. We understand that's also part of the human condition. However, how do we emerge? How do we overcome? How do we come back? Not by seeing ourselves as grasshoppers, but rather by seeing ourselves as lions, knowing that we have that within us. It's preserved inside us. We say every single day, I don't remember where I said this recently, I apologize if it was in the Amunashir, but we say every day in our Shemona Esrei, Magain Avraham, Hashem, you are the shield of Avraham. We don't say the shield of Yitzchak or Yaakov. Even though we acknowledge Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov at the beginning of the Amidah, we conclude this bracha with Magain Avraham. What does that mean? You're the shield of Avraham. What does that mean? And I once saw a beautiful explanation. Magain Avraham doesn't mean you preserve the shield of Avraham, the person. It means you preserve within us the Avraham. You are the Magain. You are the protector of the Avraham in us. 
So when you're ready to give up and you're ready to give in and you feel helpless and hopeless and you feel like you're being stepped on and trampled on and you're ready to walk away because how can I persevere and how can I deal and how can I overcome? Know and remember your DNA. Remember where you come from. Remember your background. The Lubavitcher Rebbe of blessed memory would reject if a person would introduce someone or talk about a Jew and say they have, a very, they have very little background. Or someone would say about themselves, I don't have a strong background. The Lubavitcher Rebbe would say, do you not descend from Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov? Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, every Jew has a strong background. I don't care where you went to school or how observant your parents or grandparents or the home that you were raised in. Every single Jew has a strong background because we come from Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. We all have that capacity within us. It's in our DNA. It's in our metaphysical, spiritual DNA. We have that power to be able to persevere. We have that resiliency. And if you doubt yourself, look around at the extraordinary, extraordinary people. Look while we still can at Holocaust survivors who endured and lost more than anyone can ever imagine, ever, and nevertheless found the will to see the good in humanity, to believe in themselves, to build a community, build a family, to build a brighter future. We also have that within us. We have to dig deep. All I know is this. How do you summon it? How do you draw that courage? How do you live with it? I don't have all the answers, but I will tell you this. If you don't believe it's in you, it will never happen. The first step to living it is believing it. If you don't believe you can, then you're right, you won't. But if you believe that you can roar like a lion, if you believe there's still a lion or a lioness inside you, if you believe that you have the capacity and that you've been gifted and endowed the physical and metaphysical DNA, you've inherited it from a history of our people who have not only survived, but who have thrived who've not overcome adversity without a sense of victimhood, without a sense of entitlement, but we've gone out and we've built the brighter future of the Jewish people. That was true collectively and it's true individually with every single one of us and the challenges that life gives us. So each person in their own way needs to figure out how to endure and how to overcome and how to continue. But I know this, if you don't believe you can, then you won't. It begins not by seeing yourself as a grasshopper or a cockroach. It begins by seeing yourself as a lion and being prepared to roar again and to realize that when you get stepped on, it doesn't, it's not, doesn't represent the end. Like the grape that's stepped on, it represents the new beginning of the fine wine that will ooze out. When you feel that you've been stepped on by life, that fine wine is going to ooze out. Okay, anyway, that's just because uh, I've been having communications with different people reacting and it's, uh, it's complicated. But I'll just tell you the way I think about it. Baruch Hashem, I feel incredibly blessed. Uh, I don't mean to suggest going through any particular hardship, but whatever you're enduring in life, big or small, something which is negligible or something which is life-changing, I think that's the mentality and the attitude to have. Okay, we're continuing in the piece that I always forget to post. I apologize, but I'm happy to share it with anyone who asks. From Rav Schwartz, the Bilvavi. Ha'agdarash nikrais bitachon atzmi, yisoda bitaos. There is a concept called bitachon atzmi, which means... Um, how do you translate bitachon atzmi? Self-assurance? It means self-confidence? is a mistake. It's a mistake. Shaharei mimabat yahadus kol adam sheboteach be'atzmo ba'ofen ha-muchlat ve'hagamor shal ha-muvan zem machma shalafi tfisa so kocho hu koach atzmi she'ena makabal kocho me'akadosh baruchu We're not talking about a healthy self-esteem. We're not talking about a healthy, healthy self-confidence. We're not talking about a healthy self-awareness. We're talking about the arrogant person who always feels, I got this. I can control, I can micromanage, I can manipulate, I can fix anything. The person who walks into every business meeting and says, I got this. 
I'm so confident about the outcome because I got this. Who walks into surgery, who walks into the courtroom, who walks into the negotiation, who walks into the kitchen or the gym or the supermarket, I don't care who walks into anywhere and any interaction in life and says, I'm self-assured, I have such self-confidence, I got this. That's not a Jewish viewpoint. It's not a Torah way of looking at life. If a person is arrogant and egotistical and thinks that they have all the answers, they can micromanage and manipulate, they can conquer the world, and that the skills and the talents that they have are permanent and not on loan, it's not a Jewish viewpoint. Why? Because where is Hashem in that equation? Where is God? What have they done with God? Says Rav Schwartz, they've turned themselves into an idol that they're worshipping. I'm so confident. I'm so positive. I can so guarantee an outcome. I can so control every situation and every person around me that arrogance has actually knocked God out of the equation. So they're not worshipping an idol in the form of a pagan. They're not bowing down to a statue. Who are they bowing down to? Themselves. They're bowing down to the person they see in the mirror. I got this. I control this. I fix this. I repair this. The whole world needs to fall lockstep in order into the way I want it to be. Says Rav Schwartz, before we judge or dismiss the people who think that way, it doesn't come from a place of arrogance. The person doesn't sit down and say, I'm so self-assured and I have such self-confidence because, because uh, I worship an idol and I am that idol and I invite the world to worship me and bow down to me. The person is not Haman, the person is not Paro, the person is not evil, doesn't have nefarious schemes or plans. Why does it come? It's cultural. It's cultural because the world we live in is that external world, not the internal voice of the Tzalem Elohim. It's not that internal voice, the manifestation of godliness, but we live in a place that is that external voice that sees the battles. And what happens? We hear all those pep talks and motivational speeches that says if you're going to win in that battle, you got to believe in yourself and know that you can conquer and know that you have that power. We just gave that talk ourselves at the beginning of this. However, when we gave that talk, we didn't give it as if we ourselves are the source of it, the reason we can be confident and the reason we can believe and the reason that we have hope and faith is not because the belief is in ourselves. The address, the destination of our belief is not us, it's a Kodesh Baruch it's the Almighty. Because we know He's in us, because we know He's protecting and preserving the Avraham and the Yitzchak and the Yaakov, the Sarah, Rivka and Rachel and Leah in us. It's Hashem ultimately that we are that we are seeing. When a person is too self-assured and too self-confident and thinks they can micromanage and express their power over everything, they are competing with the Almighty and they're knocking Him out of the equation. That is not a Jewish view. She says, let me give you several examples where we can explain um, or express, illustrate this idea. A person wants to lift a big bucket of water to make a bracha and to drink. So what happens? The external sense of self says, of course I can lift this cup and drink from it. Of course I can lift this jug or this utensil and drink from it. I'm a normal person and my joints and muscles work and history has shown me the pattern that I have the capacity to lift it. It's a no-brainer. It's a no-doubter. It's a done deal. We don't even think about it. Our brain has already come to the conclusion that I'll easily be able to do this. Why? Because our whole lives, however many years we've been alive, we've been able to do it. Until what? Until we can't do it anymore. 
הם מרגישים שאין להם שום בעיה ליטוס אסף על ידם לשטוס. לעומת זאת, בני אדם בעלי מדרגי אמונה, גבוה ותפיסו פנימיס, מבינים וחשים היטב בליבם שאין שום הכרח וערובה שהם יצליחו לרצה גם פעולה קלה פשוטה כאין זה. So there's two types of lives we can be living. And by the way, I don't think Rav Schwartz is suggesting that we're living with a level of consciousness that every time I lift the glass to drink water, I'm thinking, Hashem, please help me lift the glass. Help it not slip out of my hands. Help my joints and my muscles coordinate and work. Help my neurons shoot, help my brains work in order to communicate to my muscles what I want to do. Help me not dribble and drool it all over the front of my shirt. I don't think he's suggesting that every sip of water, we go through all those thoughts. We'd never be able to operate in our day. We'd be entirely and utterly debilitated. What he's saying as an illustration is that there are two mentalities or attitudes. There can be two implicit thoughts when it comes to every time we lift a glass to drink. It can be, I'm in control, I'm empowered, I can do it, nothing can stop me, this is a no-brainer, no-doubter, it's a done deal. Or, you know, anything can go wrong anytime, and whatever I'm doing, I do so only with the goodness and the graciousness of God go I, and therefore whether this will be a successful drink of water, or whether I'll drop the glass, I'll drool the water, I'll spill, it'll fall out of my hand, that's really all up to God. So it's a tiny illustration, and one that he's not suggesting we think about all the time, but rather a tiny illustration of the two attitudes one can have to the very same simple negligible act. Now, I'll tell you, what the Torah is trying to endorse and promote and create is the sense of mindfulness of the right attitude. What's an example of that? The most base animal behavior that we go through is we eliminate the food we ate. We all have to go to the bathroom. We digest and we eliminate the food we ate. It's simply the biology. It's the way that the human system was created. Perhaps the most brilliant chemical factory that was ever designed is the human body. It knows how to extract nutrients and eliminate waste. It's an incredible, brilliant system that was designed. And what do we do every time we go to the bathroom? I don't know any other religion like this. We have a religious activity. We have a religious ritual that when we come out of the bathroom, we don't go back with our day. We don't emerge from that animal moment, the great equalizer. I don't care if you're a millionaire or billionaire. I don't care if you're a world leader or a homeless pauper. It is the great equalizer. Everybody needs to go to the bathroom. Paro thought, Paro tried to present himself as a deity, as a god. He would go to the Nile and hide there to pretend he didn't. However, every human being needs to. It's the great equalizer. So do you come out of the bathroom and say, yeah, that was a given. And every time I need to go, of course it all works out the way it's meant to. And therefore, I'm not even mindful. I just go on with my day because I think I'm in power, I'm in control. It's nothing. Or do we pause and say a bracha called Asher Yatzer and say, God, thank you. That's not a given. Ask the people who are in catheters. Ask the people who are in ostomies whether that is a given. Ask the people with GI disease, as in every Ashkenazi Jew on the planet. Ask the people who've been diagnosed with Crohn's or colitis whether what just happened was a given. That it could happen in time, in the right place, that it happened in the right way, with dignity, in a way that's good for your health. It's not a given whatsoever. So therefore, Asha Yatzar was given. It's an illustration. Just like it's not a given I can lift the glass and take the sip, it's not a given that I can eliminate the water, whatever I just drank, when it's time for it to go. Another example. Another example. I just lost the place. So where does it come from? Let's analyze for a moment. Let's think analytically. Where does it come from, the arrogance to think that, of course, whatever I want to do, I can do. I want to, when I wake up in, my, in the morning, my eyes should work and my legs should work. 
If I want to walk or run or bend or crouch, it is a given it should work. I'm in control and of course that will work. Where does that attitude come from? Where does it emanate from? If I want to lift a glass or I need to eliminate my food or I want to do whatever I want to do, why should we assume and presume it's going to work? The answer is very simple, says Rav Schwartz. You know why? Because it's worked until now. Because every time until now, it's worked. So that pattern simply reinforces that erroneous conclusion that I can summon it at will, that it will happen whenever I want. There is nothing against my lifting the glass. When I want to, I should have had a glass here to illustrate this. But every time I want to lift my coffee cup, I've never had a problem. So this is an area of life that has no opponent, it has no obstacle. There is nothing I have to compete with. Every time I step on the gas, my car goes. Every time I turn the car on, it starts. Every time I lift the glass, I successfully take a drink. Every time I go to the bathroom, I eliminate the food I ate. The pattern of each of these behaviors and the successful outcome reinforces the mistaken assumption that we are in control, that we can dominate, and that we can continue to expect it to work exactly this way. This, says Rav Schwartz, does not reflect the reality or the real world. You know what it reflects? A world of fantasy. Ask the person who can no longer walk, who has arthritis, whose joints hurt. Ask the person who can no longer eliminate food easily or at will. Ask the person who's lost their power of speech. Ask the person whose car is broken down and they can't get it to start. Ask the person who that which we take for granted, we expect, we think we are in control of, we think we own permanently. Ask that person who there's, for whom there's been an enormous breakdown and will come to realize that it's an illusion. It's an absolute fantasy. It reflects no reality, the fact that we can anticipate or predict or that we can bank on the fact that it'll always be here. The natural order is that people get older and things break down and they don't work. You have to ask someone else to pour you the drink or to carry it over for you or to lift it to your lips. That's when we breed that sense of humility. That's when we realize I'm not really in control. That's when we start to, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating thing that the people who spend their lives arrogantly believing they're in charge, they're in control, the most minor breakdown becomes debilitating. The most minor breakdown breeds a depression, an anxiety, why? Because when you confront a reality that's so different than the distorted illusion that you were clinging to, it absolutely knocks you flat on your backside. So if you always thought you were in control, you were in power, you can fix, you can repair, that you are the source of everything, and life now throws at you and says that's not true, it was never true. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that? I remember a doctor, a surgeon who told me that the hardest patients are executives. Executives of big companies, people who've built their own businesses, they're the hardest patients because the doctor says you can't bounce back. You're you're going to be on your you're going to be need to recuperate and recover. You're going to be at home. Don't try to manage this. Don't try to speed it up. And the patients don't listen. And why don't they listen? Because they're used to everything operating the way they want. They tell their employees what to do. They they uh, execute their vision. 
their decisions, their conclusions. They make for the hardest patients because they're unwilling to accept that the natural reaction to surgery is going to demand a different schedule than the one that they want and the one that they can control. They are the worst. So the same is true in life. The longer we cling to this fantasy, this illusion, then when the reality strikes, the harder and further we're going to fall. The more that we live our lives, even when everything works, we know it's on loan, it's not permanent, the more that we spend our entire lives realizing, I make a bracha every time my legs work and my eyes work. We in fact make that bracha. The whole first 15 brachas in the morning, the prelude to shacharis, is all about, oh, my eyes work. Oh, my legs work. My hands work. My elimination system works. Oh, it's all working. Check, 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 check. Every day we remind ourselves it's on permanent loan. Don't take it for granted. Don't assume. Don't think you're in charge. Don't think you're in control. And then if, God forbid, or when there is a breakdown of one of those operating systems, then it doesn't knock us out because we always knew that that could happen. We were prepared for it and we know how to ask and pray for it to return and come back yet again. So it's predictable. What's not predictable is that we'll always be in control or we'll always have it. What is predictable is that it's going to eventually break down. If you're not prepared for a time and a day that your hand will shake or that you'll lose the muscle in your forearm and you may drop that glass, not only will the glass drop and fall, but it's your heart that's going to break when you thought that you were invincible, when you thought that nothing could ever happen to you. We have to realize the truth. There are two perspectives. There are two attitudes. There are two approaches. You're either living your life with God or living without Him. You either think you can roar like a lion because you know God is on your side and you're invested in Him and trust in Him and you realize the reality of His role in your life or you'll feel like that grasshopper. You'll feel stepped on and you'll feel stomped on, and you'll feel eliminated when life throws the curveball your way because you face the reality that in fact you can't control and you can't solve every problem. So the external sense of self says, you know why I'm having trouble with this glass? My muscles, my joints, I overworked, I'm aging, I didn't take the calcium, I should have taken my whole life, I never answered, got milk. So that's why I'm not able to lift this glass right now. It's that external sense of self. But me'idach, there's another point of view, there's another attitude, and that's what we're doing together on Wednesdays. We get together for a short time in order to remind ourselves and to bring out that best attitude. And what's that attitude? Tfisas habitachon. To live a life of amuna, living with amuna and bitachon. That when you drop that glass, you say, oh, it's not because of my aging or my arthritis, it's not because of my calcium deficiency, it's not because it was slippery and I should have tried it on the outside, and it's not because the person who handed it to me let go. You know why the glass dropped and broke and fell? Because that was the will of Hashem. Because that's what was meant to be. Now, if I wasn't careful, I can certainly learn from it and promise and pledge to be more careful going forward, but to pause in every moment to, to say to ourselves, to say to ourselves, that's what was meant to be. Nothing happens by accident. Now this is a complicated area, and we've discussed several times. There's a debate between the Rambam and many others. Rab Nachman has a very extreme view. Um, not everybody agrees that every single small detail, but 
I subscribe and I promote and we learn in our class this attitude and this notion that it's all from above, that nothing is coincidental. And therefore that's what empowers us and encourages us and gives us the strength to get through life from the smallest negligible things to the big things. The great rabbis, if you go back to Chazal and you understood the attitude of our rabbis in the Talmud, you will see that you know what they would conclude when they drop the glass and it spills everywhere? What they would say is it wasn't meant for me to drink that. Maybe there was a poison in the liquid. Maybe it was going to be detrimental to my health. Maybe it was going to fill my bladder and leave me in a position to have to go to the bathroom in a place where there is no bathroom. Maybe who knows, who knows, who knows, but it wasn't meant to be. So you know the only thing I need to do right now is clean up the spilled glass and not cry over what spilled from it. Instead realize, huh, I guess that wasn't meant to be. Time to move on. There are two points of view and two attitudes that we can bring. One will leave us anxious, one will leave us frazzled, one will leave us bent out of shape, one will raise our blood pressure, one will lower our quality of life and damage our relationships. When we think we can micromanage and control, when we think we're in, in charge, when we subscribe to an illusion of the life. And the other, when we take that deep breath and we let go, when we take that deep breath and we realize whatever happens is what's meant to be and we'll deal with it. Now I want to tell you, I, I, I don't know, I'm shocked actually, these last three months, turning on four months, have to me humbled the most arrogant people in the whole world. We know nothing. We understand nothing and we can control nothing. It doesn't matter how desperate we are. Coronavirus isn't over because we want it to be over. Maybe it's over for us, but it's not over for it. So we can't control it. We desperately want to be able to predict and anticipate and control, and we can't. And we're seeing brilliant, brilliant people accomplished, charismatic, entrepreneurial, creative, brilliant people who so, so, so desperately want to be able to control and bring about a different reality, a return to normal, and we can't. I've been flattened by this. I wrote about it two weeks ago because, you know, as a community leader, as a rabbi, I try using advice of people around me and an incredible team that I'm privileged to be part of. We, we put out fires. We're problem solvers. We come up with ideas, we execute plans, we try to manage the community. And this is a life right now of utter and total uncertainty. I wake up every morning and I know less than I knew the day before. Is it transfer on surfaces and through children and the role of masks and distancing? Is it over? Is it worse? Is the spike because of testing? Is the spike because hospital admission? I don't know anything, anything. How does anyone know anything? And you talk to this person and they're post-corona. You talk to this person and they're hiding under the bed because it's worse than ever. And you're left saying, I don't know any, I thought I knew everything. I can Google everything and get information. I can YouTube everything and know how to fix anything. And here's something I can't fix. Not only can I not even fix it, I can't even understand it or know it with any sense of confidence. This has shattered self-confidence. It has shattered self-confidence. Now it shouldn't say, we could have two reactions to that. You could say, you know what? I'm a lowly, nothing grasshopper. Really, it's not just coronavirus that leaves me uncertain and lacking confidence. I should realize that every day I wake up my entire life, pre-corona and post-corona, life is equally uncertain. Who knows what it's going to bring? Who knows how your day is going to change? Who knows what's going to happen to people around you that you love or God forbid to yourself? For good or for bad, who knows? Every day should be a sense of uncertainty. And yet this is uncertainty on steroids. And it is debilitating. And I'll just tell you very personally, Baruch Hashem, we're very privileged. Our daughter is engaged. We couldn't be more excited and happier. And in the scheme of things, this is the greatest problem to ever have or wish on anyone. But 
You know how hard it is to try to plan a wedding in a time of the maximum uncertainty? How do you know? How many people, where, how, can you dance? Will there be masks? Can you test everyone there? Will it be a spike? Will things be better? How in the world, where do you get started? Where do you begin? If you've planned a simcha, you know that even when you're living a life of, of not variables, but constants, even then it's hard to plan. <laughs> even then it's impossible to plan. Now take every component and variable of a plan and turn it on its head and say you can know nothing. You can know absolutely nothing. What do you do with that? And how do you plan? So I'm just sharing this because I'm trying to give a, a very personal illustration and example. All you could do is take a deep breath and say, we'll do the best we can and it's up to Hashem. And we'll keep having to modify or adapt or change or hopefully for the good and for the more and for the better. And if not, last minute you have to go the other direction. It's the way it was meant to be. And it's easy to have that voice in your own head. Harder to have that voice with the people around you and the, and the uh, main and the main centerpieces of the simcha themselves. But what other choice is there? What other choice is there? So these are the two mentalities that we can have. The external sense of self says, I'm battling. I'm battling the venue. I'm battling the caterer. I'm battling the health department. I'm battling uh, the medical community. I'm battling what's right. I'm battling the optics. I'm battling, the co- I'm battling, 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 battling. That's the external sense of self. And you know when that happens? Who wants to get out of bed? Who wants to host even a simcha? Who wants to do anything? But there's another choice. There's another option. And the other option is to say, I'm not battling anything. There's a harmony to the universe. And there's a lion inside me ready to roar with Amuna and faith that whatever is meant to be will happen, that I can adapt and conform, that I can change and be flexible, and that it's going to be great by definition because that's what's meant to be. And that's what's going to happen. For a simcha, chas v'sholem, for the opposite, that's what's going to be. That's what's going to be. I saw a great quote. I'll end with this today. I saw a great, great quote. You ready? Anxiety is the tension between the now and the then. Anxiety is just the tension between the now and the then. We'll get to the then, and we'll get to the post-then. Whatever the then is, a simcha, God forbid, the opposite. Whatever date on the calendar, whatever milestone. We'll get to the then, whatever the then is, that we have to get through. We'll get to the then. Anxiety is the tension between the now and getting to the then. But it doesn't have to be. That anxiety is there if we're living our external sense of self. But if you're learning, you're living your internal sense of self. If you're living not with the worst of you, the best of you, not the battling you, but the harmony you, not the egotistical, arrogant you, but the submissive, confident, trusting in Hashem sense of you, then you could eliminate that anxiety between the now and the then. Just fast forward to the then. Fast forward to the then and say, whatever it will take to get from the here, from the now to the then, I trust in you. So it will be what it will be, and we're good to go. And I'll do my best with whatever I can in any given moment. But it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. This is a daily and an hourly and a moment-to-moment choice that we make. Which version of ourselves do we want to express? Do we want to tap into? Do we want to live? That's the question on us. It's a question on us because we have the capacity to roar like a lion. We'll come full circle the way we began. We can see ourselves as that incompetent, incapable uh, grasshopper stepped on by the universe, or we can see ourselves as that lion ready to roar with emuna and bitachon. Not roar with arrogance that we can solve every problem, but roar with the knowledge that we can eliminate that anxiety, that we might as well be at the then now, because it will be no different. There is no tension between the two, because both we know with confidence that we're going to be okay. 
that it's going to work out because by definition that's the way it's meant to be and that's the way it is. So we'll pick up with this next time as we continue to all work on ourselves. Thank you so much for joining. I'm wishing everyone a wonderful life living with Amuna. Behind the Bima tonight, 9 p.m., we have an incredible guest, Rav Moshe Weinberger Shlita, who really preaches and teaches and lives all these ideas and ideals. Looking forward to the conversation with him. Uh, behind the Bima tonight at 9 p.m. Everyone have the most wonderful, wonderful day.